0: With an anemic offense and a second-half defensive breakdown, Delaware falls to Stony Brook 17-3 to move to 7-3 on the season and 5-2 in CAA play. With one game to go, the stage is set for either a triumph to push the Blue Hens to the FCS playoffs for the first time since 2010 or a collapse of epic proportions and a second straight defeat in the final game of the season against Villanova. Welcome to the Delaware Football Roundup by WVUD Sports. I'm sports director Brandon Hovec, here to break down Delaware's loss at Stony Brook this past weekend. We apologize for having this podcast out a little bit later than we typically do. We try to get it out as soon as we can following the game over the weekend, though a busy weekend for a lot of us with a few traveling up to New York for the game. So we're able to get it out this Monday evening. We hope you'll still give it a full listen as we look ahead to Delaware's matchup against Villanova and back at the loss this past weekend against Stony Brook. Riding solo today, in the words of Jason Droula, as we'll go through the offensive performance, the defense, and also spend a considerable amount of time on the special teams unit. There aren't a whole lot of bright spots to point to as we look at all three phases of the game for Delaware. And we'll start with the offense, who, in my opinion, is perhaps most responsible for this loss. I know we'll talk about the three missed field goal attempts by the special teams unit but for the second straight week, Delaware's offense was not able to get anything going. And unlike the game in New York against Albany, this time around the Blue Hens opponent was too good to get dug deep into a hole like the Blue Hens did and be able to come back from it at the end of the fourth quarter. Against the Great Danes, Delaware pieces together that 14-play drive over 80 yards at the end of the game with two and a half minutes to go and is able to win it on the Canai Kane touchdown. They were very much in a comfortable situation. If Kane did not score the touchdown, the field goal by Frank Rago, about a 20- or 30-yard attempt from where Delaware was on the field, would have been enough to win it. Against Stony Brook, that's not the case. They fall behind by two touchdowns at the end of the game. Delaware had a few opportunities in the red zone. They missed a few field goal opportunities, but I think a lot of that falls back to the offense not finishing off drives and not punching it into the end zone at all in this game. Delaware scored offensively. Just two touchdowns in the past two games. They both came from Kane. Pat Kehoe hasn't had a touchdown since the game against Towson back at home at Delaware Stadium, not on the road in the past two for Kehoe, who once again struggled, and it's with a little under seven minutes to go that Kehoe throws an interception that perhaps puts the nail in the coffin for Delaware in this game. He finishes 9 of 27 passing for 103 passing yards. And I think a point a lot of people will make about Pat Kehoe's performance coming out of this game is that the weather was too much to overcome for him, that it was a really windy day, it was not a great game for passing, and that Kehoe, though he should be at some fault for the performance, shouldn't be held solely accountable for Delaware's lack of offensive production and particularly their lack of passing production because the weather went against the Blue Hens in this game. And it favored Stony Brook, who came into the game, with the CIA's top-rushing attack. And while that part of it is true, that Stony Brook is more suited to play a game in these types of conditions based on the offensive style that they typically follow, 9 of 27 is not just explained by a little bit of wind. Joe Carbone was able to complete 16 of his 23 passes through the air for 178 passing yards. So if you're Pat Kehoe and the wind is that big a factor in this performance, it's something that you'd have to be really concerned about his arm strength with. I think more of it came to uh, you know a lot of pressure on Kehoe, just some, some bad decisions and some missed throws by Kehoe that if Delaware wants to make the FCS playoffs, they're going to have to have him make. And if they want to go far, if they do make it to the FCS playoffs, they're going to have to have him make. And he's done it before in past games. He had a really nice game against Elon. I thought the second half against Towson was a really strong performance from Pat Kehoe, and I even wrote... And my takeaways after that game that Delaware has found a dependable quarterback in Pat Kehoe, a guy who's not going to make the flashy plays in the way that perhaps a quarterback like Towson's Tom Flacco does, but that he's going to make the plays that are there out there on the field. He's going to maybe miss one or two, but it'll be enough for an offense to win a football game with the type of defense that Delaware has, and that's been the point that we've made for these Blue Hens through the past two or three seasons when they've had 70-yard passing performances time and time again from players like J.P. Caruso and Joe Walker, that all that the Blue Hens needed was a quarterback who could manage the game and make the plays that were out there on the field. It seemed like Pat Kehoe was that guy, and I do still think he is, but a performance like this reminds you a whole lot of the performances of guys like Caruso and Walker in seasons past. Last year, Delaware averaged a little bit more than this game. They averaged about 120 passing yards per game in the season. Before that, the Blue Hens averaged less than 100. So it was more of a Caruso or Walker performance for Kehoe than what we've become accustomed to seeing from Pat. It's an area that Delaware absolutely has to improve in if they're going to come away victorious this coming weekend against Villanova. On the ground, it was a decent performance for Delaware, but not their best by any means. They did get Dejon Lee going a little bit in the third quarter. He leads all Blue Hens carriers with 15 attempts for 71 yards. Kenai Kane, just eight carries in this game for 30 yards. Given the conditions, you'd think it would be more of a game to pound the football with Kanai Kane. He was slow to get going early on. I guess they found a little bit more of a hot hand in Dejon Lee and he continued on as Delaware's lead back through most of this game, though I would have liked to see probably a little bit more of Kenai Kane, who had the big game against Elon and was able to put that game on ice for the Blue Hens with a powerful performance in the fourth quarter and had performed better last week in the game against Albany, finishing off that game with the touchdown drive at the end and scoring two for the Blue Hens. Moving to the receivers, like with Kehoe, not a whole lot going for them. Charles Scarf leads all Delaware Target Grabbers with 5 catches for 43 receiving yards. Not his biggest game, but he continues to make plays that show you that he probably is worthy of some of the NFL consideration that he's starting to gather, starting to see a little bit more online about him as an NFL draft pick or getting maybe an undrafted roster invite this coming year, and I think that would certainly be warranted these Been an awesome red zone target for Pat Kehoe through the whole season. You start to see him working those out routes to the sidelines and getting a lot of separation at this point in the season. He did it a few more times in this game against the Seawolves, picking up first downs in some fairly big spots for the Blue Hens, and again leading the way with five receptions. No other Blue Hens receiver had more than one in this game. No touchdowns for Scarf, so he remains one shy of the Delaware single season records for most touchdown receptions by a tight end. And one shy of the Delaware record for most receiving touchdowns by a tight end in a career. So that's something to watch out for this coming weekend against Villanova. Can Scarf get to that point? Delaware does have a history of tight ends making it to the NFL, most recently with Nick Boyle, who's currently a tight end with the Baltimore Ravens. It'd be interesting and fun to see Charles Scarf perhaps join that list, and we'll see what type of attention he gets through the NFL draft process over the winter and into the spring. He certainly has the body of an NFL tight end. His speed was a concern with me the past couple of seasons, but it seems he's getting enough separation in matchups against safeties and linebackers this season to be pretty darn effective at this level, and the size and the strength. Going up and catching balls a couple in the corner at Delaware Stadium the past couple of weeks— has been really impressive to watch and does remind you of some of the bigger pass-catching tight ends that we've seen be very successful and be tools for offenses, not just guys who can block and catch an occasional pass, but guys who create mismatches for NFL offenses. And that's what Charles Scarf has been able to do here for Delaware and perhaps what he could do at the next level. Vinny Papali gets a catch late to continue his streak of having a catch in every single game this season for Delaware. But throughout most of it, was kind of a non-factor, really didn't play a role in this one. They try to get the ball to Joe Walker a little bit. He finishes with one catch for 14 yards as well. And while Jake and I, especially on the Thursday show, talk a lot about getting the ball into the hands of Joe Walker, in this type of game, when the passing game is not established, I'm not a huge fan of falling back into that Joe Walker wildcat type offense, especially earlier on in the game where it seemed like it lacked a lot of creativity. And I made this point with a couple of tweets online that I posted during the game that that package is not effective when there's not misdirection, when there's not something that makes the defense second-guess. The way that Delaware was lining up, there was no option built into the play for Walker to pass the ball down the field, which we've seen be effective a couple of times this season. And a lot of the time, it was just straight read option. There wasn't anything that got the defense's eyes moving one way, and the ball moving the other way. Like, you've seen a lot at the NFL level this season with all the jet action that teams like the Chiefs and the Rams have incorporated into their offenses. They must have heard me. They, they, they'd they run a play late that was able to get Gene Coleman free for a 13-yard gain on a little reverse play built into that Walker-Lee package that they had with just the one running back in the backfield. Uh, but I'd like to see more of that to, to if they're going to continue to incorporate this Walker package or incorporate a few more passes to put the defense back on their heels because in this game, Walker was not effective as a rusher. Five attempts for 19 yards. He lost a total of six. And that's something that sets your offense back. And I think it also throws your offense a little bit out of rhythm. When they're backed up inside the 30, that's especially when Danny Rocco and the Blue Hens like to get into this package to try to pick up a couple first downs on the ground. But if you can't do that, if you're not getting positive gains on first and second, it leaves the Blue Hens with a third and long. And in this game, they did not show anything that would make you think they're capable of picking up those third downs and longs. It was basically a lost cause if those first two plays went for one or two yards or for a complete minus. In the game, Delaware on third down conversions was just two of 13. So it's certainly an area that they struggled in. It's something that they've talked about a lot in the past, trying to stay ahead of the sticks, trying to keep those third down conversions Manageable, trying to keep them to 3rd and five, third and 4, 3rd and 3, where the run and the pass are both in play. When I talk about getting the ball in Joe Walker's hands, I'd rather see that be out in space, not behind the line of scrimmage where he really has to make a lot happen by himself, but where he's in a position to just have to beat a defender or two, and he can use that ability, his speed and strength out in space to shake off smaller and slower defenders. Delaware defensively at a pretty strong first half holding the Stony Brook Seawolves to just three points, but was dominated in the second half by a Stony Brook's rushing attack, led by Donald Leotine, who finishes the game with 27 carries for 170 yards and a touchdown. He had a 33-yard rush toward the end of the game that basically put the game on ice with five minutes and 27 seconds remaining, and Delaware down 17-3. He just gashed the Blue Hens following Pacquiao's interception up the middle, It was a situation where Delaware was trying to get the ball back for one last-ditch attempt. They eventually did get the ball back, but with not more than a minute or two on the clock, and they weren't able to do anything with it. Leotine was extremely solid, really, really strong in the second half. I was impressed with his running style, but it also leaves some question marks about the Blue Hens defensively, a unit that was supposed to be good at defending the run and really did not show a whole lot of resistance as the game wore on up in New York Perhaps a little bit of that factor just being how often Stony Brook ran the football as a team. They attempted 53 runs, which is probably the most Delaware has seen this season. Leotine's 27 attempts, certainly the most that a single rusher has had against the Blue Hens this season. So Delaware perhaps wearing down as the game rolled along, which you can't necessarily blame them, especially when the offense was in on and off the field as quick as it was on occasion. But a lot of credit is also due to Donald Leotine and the way that Stony Brook ran the football. That was really the bread and butter of the offense in the second half. Jordan Gowan should also get some credit, too. 19 carries for Gowen, who is their second back with Leotine. He gained 83 yards, so not quite as big a day as Leotine, but still averaging 4.4 yards per carry. As a team, Stony Brook gaining 222 rushing yards, which sounds like a lot. And I went to look it up to see, okay, yeah, if this... The most that Delaware has given up as a team this season, and it's actually just the third most the Blue Hens have allowed to opponents this season, but you look back to the other two, 240 rushing yards by North Dakota State and 226 by Towson just a couple of weeks ago. Both of those teams had quarterbacks who added to that rushing attack, so Easton Stick for the Bison and Tom Flacco for the Tigers, though Shane Simpson did have probably the best game by a running back until this point against Delaware. Neither of those teams had just the type of get under center and run the ball right at you feel that this Stony Brook team had against the Blue Hens. I should also add that there was one play that really stuck out to me just to show off how good Donald Leotine is where he gets a carry up the middle. He's got a guy to beat and it's Troy Reeder coming off to his side and he just drops Troy Reeder with the stiff arm. I and mean, we've talked at length on this podcast and on our Thursday show about how just good Troy Reader is. He's just a solid middle linebacker, does everything that you'd want a linebacker at this level to be able to do, and he gets just shaken off. This is a guy who was the weight room champion back-to-back years for the Blue Hens, probably their strongest player on the team regardless, and Leah team was able to shake him off of the arm tackle with a stiff arm. I was really impressed by that play, and I was impressed by the play of this rushing attack for the Seawolves throughout the game. And it also seemed to be that with the way the offense was performing for Delaware, it was only a matter of time before Stony Brook really put it together. And they did, Delaware's defense, that is, did a decent job on Leotine and Gowans in the first couple of drives of this game. But as it wore on, it seemed like they weren't just going to be able to stop the run, that they were going to need a little bit of help from the offense. And you go back and look at how Stony Brook's drives ended in the beginning of this game in the first quarter it does show to be a little fluky. Those flukes corrected themselves in the second half when Stony Brook outscored Delaware 14-3. The first drive of this game ends near the end zone when Nasir Adderley comes up with a good interception against Joe Carbone, albeit a bad read by Carbone. It was a throw that should have never been made. The second stop comes on fourth and two, where typically I think Stony Brook would have taken a field goal. But because of the wind, they end up going for it on fourth and two and Ray Jones, the linebacker, comes out of nowhere and makes a really nice play on fourth and two to force the turnover on downs. On third down, on the third drive of the game for Stony Brook, the snap goes over the quarterback Carbone's head, and it forces a fourth and 22, which is, of course, this isn't the Eagles, It was it was converted unsuccessfully. After the snap forced the fourth and long, and then the fourth drive of the game for Stony Brook ends in the backfield where they fumble the football and Colby Reader is able to come up with it for the Blue Hens. So those types of things, you know, Stony Brook's moving the ball. They're actually making some throws on second and third down at the beginning of the game to move the ball against the Blue Hens defense. But they get those couple of things to go their way, and Delaware wasn't fully able to take advantage of them. So it just felt like a matter of time before Leotine and Gowans got going downhill and took the game over for Stony Brook, and that's exactly what happened late in the second half. And that brings us to special teams and the missed opportunities in this game for the Blue Hens. I said it in the offense portion of the show that Delaware was unable to take advantage of opportunities, especially those set up by the defense, by the fourth and two turnover on downs, by the colby Reuber fumble recovery, and by the Nasir Adderley interception. A lot of that should go back to the offense, but a fair portion of that has to go to the special teams unit as well. Frank Rago in this game, typically a guy whose money, missed two field goals, one from 33 yards and one from 34 yards. Now the wind is certainly a factor in this game and makes those kicks much more difficult than they typically be. But they're kicks that you really just would want to have. Uh, from a college football team. They're makeable kicks, even with the extremely windy conditions. And if if after the first one, you know, the Delaware coaching staff deems it too windy to make that attempt, then you got to set yourself up for an easier fourth-down conversion. That comes back to the offense, too. Like I was saying before, if you know it's four-down territory, you can play that 10-yard situation a little bit differently. But to Rago, you know, the two kicks, you, you just can't have those. In a game of this nature against a team that was as good or better than you, and you going up on the road to try to take them down at their house for the second consecutive year. You needed those breaks to go your way if you were the Blue Hens. And then the third one is a high snap that Rick Pritchard should have been able to get the snap down. He's unable to do so. He fumbles the football, is able to get it back for the Blue Hens, but it rids the Delaware special teams unit of yet another special or excuse me, another field goal opportunity. So those are three chances right there that. Wouldn't have been the swing in the game, right? If you count all three of those as makes for Delaware, it's still a 17 to 15 game. Delaware would have, excuse me, it's a 17 to 12 game. Delaware would have obviously still lost if you take it that way by just adding up the missed field goals. But they change the way you play things down the stretch. If this game's a little bit closer, it changes the way that Stony Brook calls their offense down the stretch. Perhaps they're a little less aggressive though they were very successful with the running game, which presents lower risk than the passing game. Uh, But but those are errors. They should go recognized, but I don't believe they will persist into the future. Now, I did say that on this podcast after the Towson game where Delaware snaps two punts over Nick Pritchard's head and it really hurts this team and it happened in week one where it gave Rhode Island a touchdown that the Rams, frankly, shouldn't have had. So I, I could be wrong on this front, but I don't believe that these special teams problems will persist into the future for Delaware. I think they are isolated based on the weather in this environment up in Long Island. I think Delaware will get back to normal when they come to Delaware Stadium, special teams wise. (music) So now comes Villanova, Delaware at 7-3 on the season and 5-2 and in CAA, is back with the pack in the CAA standings. They're tied with James Madison, Stony Brook, and Towson at that record. Elon has one less win, and Maine has one more win. No team has solidified their playoff standing yet, though the Black Bears, because they won last week against Richmond and Delaware lost, has the best chance to win the CAA championship. If they win their matchup this weekend, they will be CAA champs undisputed. If not, a whole lot of different tiebreakers and scenarios shake out from there. If you're the Blue Hens, the scenario is win this game this weekend, and your chances are almost 100% to make the FCS playoffs for the first time since 2010. Since 2013, when the FCS playoffs moved to their current 24-team format, no team from the CAA has been left out of the tournament with a record of eight wins overall and six wins in conference play. It's been that way for much of this decade as the CIA consistently has three or four teams in the tournament. Here's Danny Rocco talking about that very magic number.
1: Um, I do think there's a reality that there will be teams in this league that will participate in the FCS playoffs with uh, seven wins. Um, But in saying you need eight uh, in this moment, Uh, No team in our league has gotten to eight yet, you know, so in saying that uh, we really are positioned well um, and we just need to uh, focus in on uh, a good week of uh, preparation.
0: With that last part, Rocco is absolutely right. The focus for Delaware has to just be on winning this game against Villanova. And continuing in the theme of controlling your own fate, they don't have to worry about other teams. It's not a guarantee that with the win that they'd be in, but you'd be hard-pressed to find 24 other teams with a better resume and a better record than Delaware, frankly, if they win the game against Villanova this weekend, combining that with their top 25 wins, top 10 wins against Elon and Towson from earlier this season. The part of that that really interests me, and thank you for Hannah Trader for sending that in to me from earlier this afternoon from Danny Rocco's uh, weekly press conference with members of the media. The part that really interests me from all of that is Rocco's belief that a seven-win team will make it into the FCS playoffs from the CAA, and I think that part of it you have to throw in there if you're Rocco to try to keep your team's morals up. You, You know, If they lose this game, you don't want them to consider themselves completely out. You have to still be prepared to play a game the next weekend. And we saw last year in a very, very similar scenario, Delaware with seven wins overall and five wins in CIA play heading into the final week of the season. We all thought they need to win the game against Villanova, and they'll be in, same as we think now. And they lost that game, but so many other teams from down the FCS also lost that weekend that Delaware still had a chance at making the FCS playoffs. Obviously, they did not. New Hampshire did make it in with that seven-win record from the CAA, and actually the Wildcats did make a fair run in the FCS playoffs. But we expected, okay, New Hampshire is going to win, Delaware is going to win their games against Albany and Villanova respectively. How does that shake out? How does it shake out with the rest of the FCS? It wasn't that way, and a similar thing could happen this weekend, though the expectations for me with how many teams right now have six wins in CAA play— You can list them out, Maine, Delaware, Stony Brook, James Madison, Towson, and Villanova possibly could get there. With that many teams in the running, I think you would be hard-pressed to make the FCS playoffs and make a case for yourself with seven wins overall and five in CAA play, especially when those losses, two of them for Delaware, would have been against non-playoff teams in Rhode Island week one and Villanova in the final week of the season. So the recipe for Delaware is to win the game against Villanova and try to get in to the FCS playoffs, likely as an at-large bid, though they do have a couple scenarios where they could still be the CIA champion. All that the Blue Hens can worry about, as Rocco said, is their preparation for this weekend's game against Villanova. And despite what the records might indicate, I think this is a very evenly matched game, for the Blue Hens to come into at Delaware Stadium this weekend, I think Delaware is a little bit worse than its seven win and five win CIA record would indicate, and I think Villanova is a little bit better than its four win overall and one win in CIA play record would indicate. The Wildcats have their starting quarterback Zadbe- Zach Bednarick, excuse me, Bednarick is back for the Wildcats, who had missed a lot of time in last year's season and allowed that year to spiral out of control and similarly lost a lot of time this season when Villanova went on a four-game midseason losing streak. Now they've won one of their last two. They scored 45 in a victory on November 3rd at Richmond. They scored just 17 last week in a 24-17 loss against William & Mary, but in that game, Villanova did turn the ball over three times, so to only lose a game by a touchdown with a minus three turnover margin, (laughs) it's not the most impressive thing in the world, and I'm not painting Villanova as this playoff contender all of a sudden. They're not as good as the Stony Brook team that just beat Delaware this past weekend, but I think they're a little bit better than the typical one-win CAA team is. And you can look back just two weeks ago to a game against Albany that Delaware very well could have lost. The Great Danes came into that game in a similar spot in the CAA standings to Villanova, actually a little bit worse with zero CAA wins, and they very well could have beat Delaware. They were two and a half minutes from coming away with a 16-15 to 15 win against the Blue Hens. So anything can happen this weekend. Villanova is playing carefree. They have no pressure on them. All that this game is for is for pride for them and to play spoiler against one of their biggest rivals yet again. For Delaware, the pressure is on. This game is a do-or-die. It is a break-the-program-record playoff drought, right, and keep with the expectations that grew onto this team, that latched onto this team with the five-game winning streak at the middle of the season and the big win on homecoming weekend last time they were at Delaware Stadium against Towson, it's to live up to those expectations or the downside, if you lose this game, and that's why the pressure is on, is another epic collapse and perhaps an even more epic collapse than it was a season ago because this is now the second straight season we'd be seeing this. The stage is set. Delaware these past two weeks has not looked like a playoff football team, and I know they're capable of playing like one because we saw it for four straight weeks before the game against Albany. But if they come out and the offensive concerns are not addressed, if they can't establish the run, which they've struggled with all season long, if Pat Kehoe looks more like JP Caruso than Pat Kehoe, this team could be in for some problems. I'm not going to make a prediction here. There's a lot to still look into between this Delaware and Villanova matchup, and it will definitely be a close game. It'll be a fun one at Delaware Stadium. Not everything is the same, but there's enough the same that makes this feel eerily similar to last year's end of season scenario. It makes you feel like Delaware could be in for a similarly epic collapse. Here's Danny Rocco talking about the differences between last year's team and situation and this year's team.
1: Uh, I think there's a lot of things that are really ascending, you know, and um, allowing us uh, to feel like this is a different team. This is a different season, obviously, a different year. Uh, and we should be confident that we can work towards a different outcome.
0: And what it comes to in this game as well is it's a rivalry game. Villanova has won eight of the past nine battles of the Blues against Delaware. They've dominated this series This one, even if neither team had a chance in making the playoffs, has importance. And why? There are three reasons why. Danny Rocco lays them out here on how a game like this between Delaware and Villanova becomes a rivalry.
1: For rivalry games, I think there's three things. There could be more things, but there's three things to me that are somewhat relevant in terms of what makes it or substantiates it. And again, I've been fortunate. I've been at Texas, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas A and M, Boston College, Nebraska, Penn State, Pitt, uh, really just to name a few. And I think, first of all, there's got to be some element of history, you know. So for there to be an element of history, creates a thought, a belief that this has a chance to be a rivalry game. There's some history to it. There's a lot of people that are interested in it. I think. A second component quite often is geography, you know, and that brings into a lot of different factors. One is it's the same groups of kids that are playing against each other that were recruited together by both schools and quite often played against each other in high school. And then the third one that sometimes gets overlooked is, is it a conference gamer? Because a conference game is always going to take on more meaning and more value. As you've seen the landscape of college football change over the years, that's one of the things that's changing. Some traditionally rivalry games have died because schools have moved into other conferences. Penn State-Pitt. So it's no longer as significant in terms of a rivalry. So I do think those three things – are, in fact, the geography, the history, and then the conference reality.
0: All right, that's about all the time that I have. Hopefully you enjoyed that little run-through of the offense, the defense, and the special teams in Delaware's 17-3 loss at Stony Brook. There's plenty more to get into with this game between the Blue Hens and the Villanova Wildcats. We'll go a little bit more in-depth into the scenarios on how Delaware could not only make the FCS playoffs but become conference champion When our Thursday show, Blue Hen Sports Gate Show, please... Tune into that, and we'll also break down a little bit more of this matchup between the Wildcats and the Blue Hens, who, as I've outlined here, I believe pose a pretty strong threat to Delaware. I would not be surprised to see Delaware season end this weekend, but you look back a couple of weeks ago, and it wouldn't have been surprising to see this team make not only the first round of the FCS playoffs, but perhaps make a deep push into December and even January. If you were the Blue Hens, that's the goal. The step in the way this next step of the process this weekend's game against villanova we'll have coverage of the villanova delaware game the battle of the blue beginning at 11 45 on 91.3 wvud josh deal and i will be on the call delaware in the second straight season battles for a playoff berth against villanova in the final game of the 2018 regular season thank you for listening to the delaware football roundup by wvud sports talk to you guys next week